Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hi, Nina. How are you today? I'm good, thank you very much. And you? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's sort of sunny here, and um, I think by the time the podcast goes out, it'll be sometime in autumn. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I like I mean, I like the heat. Uh, to be honest with you, and you know, coming from Iraq, we're sort of used to the heat and you know, mm. the sweat and mm. uh, lots of tears as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, I worked in Iraq for three hot summers. It used to get to 60 degrees over there. Yeah. Um, the problem was not really the heat. It was the lack of electricity because, mm. you know, the grid, you know, wouldn't be able to sustain people switching on the air cons, uh, mm. air conditioning machine. And, yeah. So it was quite an experience, but, you know, we sort of, well, I guess we got through it because we had to, you know, there's no other alternative, really. Mm. Um, and I guess when there's no alternatives, you just kind of become a resilient yeah. son of a gun, you know. Get on with it. Mm. Well, it's, it is warm day, like you said, and although this might be going out in autumn, um, it is quite warm today. And although people will say to me, well, surely you're used to it because I'm mixed race. And uh, no, I'm not. I was born in England. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm really not used to the heat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm quite fair skinned. And then when I went back to mm-hmm. Iraq, you know, I became brown skinned like them and I developed, yeah. you know, quite a, you know, quite a resilience to heat. And it's quite interesting. It, it probably took me about three or four months, you know, for the skin to wow. adjust. And that's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, I mean, I used to get heat stroke and severe headaches and, mm. you know, just spending a few minutes in the sun over there. But then the body gets used to it. And I and I ended up actually jogging in, in, in the sun. Wow. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's it's weird how the body adapts really quickly. Adap- to... Yeah, adapts to it, isn't it? So mm. you said that you're, you're mixed race. Which, which race is or... Two or yeah. three or four or um a few. So um my mum's English, so she's from um she was born in Essex and her parents were Londoners. And then my father's side, who I don't know, but my father is um was from Trinidad. But everyone says I look a bit Asian. But then my nan on my mum's side, she has heritage from Spain. So there's a bit of it's definitely a Heinz fifty-seven variety going on. Bit of and, a mixture. And 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 sort of uh, over the years, where were you sort of looking towards in terms of heritage, inspiration, and sort of? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because obviously I was brought. Well, I, I don't know my father's side, so I don't know my black side of the family. So I only had my white side of the family. So I was very much brought up, you know, meat and two veg on the plate. Um, you know, very sort of. English, traditional English way of life, I suppose. I don't know anything about my Trinidad side at all. 
but I did go over there um, a few years ago. We're near there. I didn't go to Trinidad. I, could, I should have, I suppose I should have, but I am meaning still to get there. I went over to Dominican Republic and um, felt quite at home there even. So um, I think once I've got a tan and I go black in the sun, <laughs> sort of blend in. So, um, yeah, and that's what's quite quite useful, really. I think because I could be from anywhere, go to Egypt, they think you're Persian. You, you know, it's sort of, I'm sort of not one of the tourists, which is quite nice. Did, did you get any sort of, um, you know, uh, what's the word? I mean, I, I experienced a lot of racism when I was a child because I, um, I came here at the age of four. Um, mm. I mean, I looked white, but I didn't have a white name. No. So they'd be like quite intrigued, you know, some of them were just fascinated. Others would see the name and, mm. and, and, you know, you'd get the racist tropes uh, on mm. a regular basis. Did, did, did you sort of get that or not really? Well, I was, I, the town I was born in and actually still live in, well, I live in a village just on the outside of it now. It's a very conservative white town. Um, I was the only mixed race Although we were called different names then, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably half caste or something. Yeah, yeah. But you know, so I was sort of the, the mixed race person at the school, the only one. Um, did I get picked on? No, I was mm. quite good at. Um, I was quite a strong little individual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't picked on. I think I had a few names in junior school, but again, I think I was just one of those, you know, if they called me licorice legs, I used to think, oh, what tasty, you know, I used to always come back with something yeah. straight away and they stopped doing it. The minute they started, they stopped, you know, they could see I wasn't really offended by anything or chocolate drop. And Yeah, you know, I mean, like I mean, if you're offended in, in, in those days, that was a fuel for them. And it was Absolutely, just, yeah. And right. I would just sort of laugh it off, joke with them and that was it. And yeah, and 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 just hit them back with with sort of racist white tropes, and, and you know sort yeah. of you know sort of laugh about it, and you know understand that it's just a bit of fun and, and sort of exactly, what have you. Exactly. You know, being male, we used to have fisticuffs and so on. Mm, and, a bit different. Know, yeah. So I mean, you know, we didn't have all that sort of reputation destruction. That um, no. I mean, I went to a sort of a traditional. A boys' school. I mean, it wasn't a, a religious school; it was a comprehensive. But mm. it was, but it was in a rough part of North London. Um, yeah, you know, stabbings and and Gosh. you know that kind mm. of stuff. So, mm. luckily, I you know it didn't get too serious. But you know, mm. definitely there was a lot of racial tropes going about in school, mm. and mm. it wasn't an issue. I mean, all I was thinking about is getting my grades and you know getting out of that neighbourhood and. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, becoming better and and sort of going up the social hierarchy, so to speak. That was same, my same here. Same here. It's exactly what I did. My, you know, my mum was a single parent. Um, you know, when when she had me, she had a caravan in the in a field, um, and then it was council houses. So very much, I was similar to you, just wanting to get out of that situation, I suppose, and and working really hard. Although I found myself a single parent, you know, from before Ben was born, but I think worked really hard to actually, you know, do something with my life and be able to make sure that he had things I never did. So, and and and, and where did that drive come from? I suppose um, I think it was probably looking at my mum, learned you know how not to do things really, and I didn't want to just follow that same cycle. Obviously, I don't want to go into all the things of childhood, but it was not great. 
And I just think I wanted, I think that was the drive. I wanted to be different. I wanted to do it a different way and have a different path and myself and have a different path as well. And, so, and, yeah. and did you decide to go into healthcare sort of from an early age or did that develop or? No. So I left school and just went straight into work. I think I was a, cause I was a scooterist at the time. Um, not a mod. There was two sorts. So there was your mods and then there was your scooterist. So I was a punk scooterist. Um, I wanted to just work. So after I left school, I just wanted to work and get my own scooter, my Vespa. It's in the garage still. Um, and, you know, go on scooter run. So I wanted to work because I needed money to be able to do that. And it wasn't until I found, you know, realised I'm, I'm pregnant and I'm on my own. after having, you know, had a relationship for, for a few years. Um, I thought I just need to do things differently now. You know, I've got someone else. I'm responsible for a child. I need to you know, carve out a different path. Healthcare still wasn't really on my mind. I think I just went back and did my A-levels because, of course, I'd missed those completely after having left school with just GCSEs or then O-levels and CSEs, of course, yeah, yeah. for the, the older ones in the um, audience. But, um, yeah, so I went back and did my A-levels and then I did my, um, realised, you know, what am I going to do about with this? You know, because I had biology and chemistry. I redid my maths to get an A. So I'd sort of done quite well. And I thought, yeah, I'll go and do the, the Project 2000 course then for nursing. But there was a two-year waiting list. And so, you know, the, the teachers or, or lecturers said, um, well, you know, do a degree. And I said, degree in what? And they said nursing. And there was only three universities in the country that did the four-year full-time degree, um, an honours degree. So I, I, I did that. With commuting with, with a tiny toddler. <laughs> where, where where were you living and, and, and where was the university? So I was in Taunton, so I was commuting to Bristol, but no car. So it was a pram to, you know, the, the train station, catch a train and then two bus rides and then drop them off at nursery, which was on campus, and then start at nine, early morning, very late nights. And, and and what was the reason of, of doing nursing? What 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 drew you to that? Um, I think because I'd always looked after people, either in, in, you know, throughout my sort of childhood and, you know, I've always had that sort of, I don't know what it is really. I don't know if we're born with it or we're just drawn into that or circumstance leads us to that. But um, so, yeah, so I looked after my mum a lot Um you know, she she had, a, uh, I don't mind saying this, she did have a, a really serious drinking problem. So I was sort of the adult with my two brothers, younger brothers. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I've learned a lot already about life, I'd experienced things I shouldn't have perhaps experienced at that age. So went into healthcare and, you know, I'm so glad I did. But again, I suppose, you know, wanting to get out of the situations I was in and stuff like that, I thought, I'm going to have to progress. So I progressed quite quickly from, you know, registered nurse to ward sister and then did my master's to become an advanced nurse practitioner. So working alongside consultants, which was, um, I loved that job. I really did like that. Long hours, more responsibility because you're the ones reviewing the imaging and making decisions and prescribing and all the stuff that goes with, you know, that type of role, as well as assisting in theatres and stuff like that. But I really did enjoy it. You are autonomous. Although you're part of a team, you do work very much autonomously. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure, for 
sure. I mean, you know, my 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 mom went through a lot of depression in the eighties, early eighties, and and you know, because of the war in Iraq, she she lost all her brothers in the war, and and then both her parents, and sort of you know, vicariously, I I became her therapist. You know, <laughs> you know sort of sitting uh, listening to. Her. Hours and hours, you know, just sort of... see. So you sort of acquire those sort of yeah. skills, but you need. To and I didn't realize them. I didn't realize what I was doing. I mean, yeah. intuitively, I knew that was the right thing to do—to sit there and listen to her, and you know, try and understand what she was going through, and then put put a bit of a positive uh, tinge to the situation, so that she yeah. doesn't go down into the black hole of um, yeah. nihilism. Yes. Um, but I didn't realize that at the time. It was just okay. This is my duty, and and exactly. um, obviously there was you know other things going on mm. and manipulation mm. and sort of you know uh, attachment problems and so on. But um, yeah. but yeah, I mean that's where I got my kind of you know being interested in people mm. rather than things. Mm. Um, yeah, same here because I wasn't. I wasn't materialistic at all. It was always a case of, you know, I just needed to get out of where I was living, obviously, because I left that certain person. You know, I was I was homeless, so I needed to start again. I didn't get much back from the house that we had, so enough just to get some carpets, and that was it. So, you know, I was rehomed in a not great place in, in Taunton at all. And um, I just thought, God, i got to get out of here. You know, there's drugs in the street and man waving a gun. I mean, you won't think this in Taunton, but it does happen. You know, child had a leg bitten. I ran out to help and a man's waving a gun trying to get the dog. And I thought, oh my word, this yeah. is, yeah, this is the... Taunton. <laughs> yeah, no, so, no, for sure. And yeah. so I needed to move out to that particular area. Yeah, plus, I mean, I was quite lucky that, that you know, although my parents couldn't do much, but they, they were always an encouraging voice, you know, if That's I was nice. down. Mm. You know, uh, and you know, going through medicine is is bloody difficult. You know, mm. the, the whole process needs a constant cheerleader on your on your back. You mm. know, to keep pushing you forward. What mm. what what was it that that you really enjoyed in in nursing school when you when you studied your honours degree? Well, it wasn't a nursing school. That's the thing. So because it was the you know a degree, it wasn't like this. You know, somewhere where you could all live together and be play nursing do you know what right. I mean it wasn't yeah. like that at all so you did have your placements but they were always a month long it was a very different type of degree so and I think that's what I liked about it because it, you only had a month on each placement you had to cram a lot in that month so if you're on a stroke unit you need to know everything and because these were early degrees the anatomy and physiology we learned was at doctor level. I mean, we mm. were cutting up cadavers and doing all sorts of things for our degree, which you don't see them doing. And it was just ridiculous. They pitched it so high. But actually, you know, it, I think that's what I really enjoyed, you know, learning about things that you wouldn't normally learn, you know, about, I mean, I don't know, like lateral sacs and T-tubules and things like that. Who learns about that level of, of AMP? You just don't normally as a nurse, you know, it's very deep. But actually that, stood me in good stead for being an advanced nurse practitioner because I understood what was actually going on and I knew what treatments I was doing that would I knew how that would affect those particular patients do you not know, all that patient so because I had quite a good idea about that 
Um, I think that I think all of that helped. So I th my biggest enjoyment, I suppose, was realizing everything I learned about biology in school wasn't true because <laughs> you learn so much on top. Um, but I I love to learn. I do love to learn. Yeah, yeah. And and did you have sort of a thoughts of becoming a doctor? Sort of given that you weren't quite. Far yeah. In so your... yeah, I did. I think at one point it, when I was still a nurse, actually, I did inquire about it, and I went to Bristol University to to find out. And they said I'd have to do eighteen months at that point because I'd only had the honours degree at that point, so four years. I mean. And to be honest, nursing in those four years was probably 20% of that time. The rest was psychology, sociology, law, ethics. We we learned all that as as separate, you know, modules along along the way that all sort of run concurrently, really. So um, and I did sort of a manar about it, but then I thought, oh God, I just don't know if, you know, if I want to be. I sort of toyed with it. And then I thought, no. But then actually after that, you know, a few years after that, and I've been a ward sister, I was an advanced nurse practitioner so I was doing the doctor's jobs we were brought in to replace doctors because there were not enough doctors so but I wasn't I still held on to my nursing roots um there was a some ANPs that would think it was below them to help a patient to the toilet or not stop to help make a bed with a nurse you know whereas I would still do that because we're all a team that's how I saw you know I don't see I don't see hierarchies at all I don't see disciplines do you know what I mean I just see the tasks that needs to be done and the care that needs to be given and who taught you that you know what who told you that that was the right thing do you know what I don't know who taught me that I mm. think it's I don't like it when I see it being done so um and, you know, and I've worked throughout the years, I mean, not now, but I, when I was working for four people, um, I don't like seeing it. It shouldn't be like that. You know, you're only as good as your team anyway. So you should all be working together to bring your team along and help support them. But I think because my thinking's like that, and don't ask me why, <laughs> I don't know why, but I think because of that, I see beyond those roles. So I'll get I don't know, I might, you know, have those discussions with healthcare assistants about taking on different roles in, in a GP surgery, about freeing up some GP time, about, you know, whatever it might be, but scrapping those boundaries and thinking, well, what does the patient want and how can we deliver that? And, and um, you know, going through the, um, the NHS hierarchy, you know, the sort of the nursing mm. hierarchy, um, what was it about that which you didn't like or you know, really got on your um, um I think chest. Not, yeah, I think sometimes the, well, in, in terms of nursing, the only hierarchy there is above you is the director of nursing, really. So you've got the director of nursing and then um, during my career, in my early career, they brought in matrons, but not like the old style matron, just another layer, it felt. Um, and obviously, I Why I was still... that? Was it, was it because of just sort of financial laddering, so to speak. Or... Well, no, I think it, I think originally it was brought in because, um, if I remember, I mean, this is going back some, isn't it? It's going back fifteen years, but I think it was because at the time, I think the public was sort of saying, you know, where's the old matron? Where you know that keeps everything straight and tidy and and right, and. You know, I suppose that would then reflect back on the leadership on the ward as to what's gone wrong there then, if we need that layer. And that was my questioning. 
And so, yeah, so they brought these matrons in and it was after that I then became a ward sister and then thought, well, if you do the job right, you don't need a matron, you know, if you look after your staff (laughs) and the patients, you don't need that level. That's just my own thoughts and my opinion, obviously, but um, other people might argue against that. It just felt like another layer and another layer of work and, you know, of audits and things that, you know, could be given to other people that are that are on the ward, really, to expand them, mm-hmm. extend their knowledge as to why we do things a certain way. Yeah, and 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 what got you thinking about changing this sort of hierarchy and changing way of working? I don't know if I actually changed that way of working. I would treat everybody the just same. a rebel, just a rebel. <laughs> no, I no, I think when I came into anywhere, where I, whenever I come in anywhere to work, and like even before nursing, I would treat the janitor the same as you know the manager there, and that I'm, I've always been the same. So, you know, everybody's people, everybody's got their role to play to make that place work. So I just treat everybody as they are, you know. And people will say to me, "Or oh, you." You're very normal, whatever that means. Um, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I don't, always... Sorry, God. No, no, I mean, you know, there wasn't like sort of a a switch. You've always been this way, and then you sort of found yourself working your way up the uh the system, so to speak. Yeah, and actually I always felt that, and again, you said earlier about racism, and I wonder if that did play a part. I'm not someone that ever shouted it out or anything but I always felt I had to work twice as hard and one manager actually said to me when I got my a senior nursing role said don't think you got it because you've got a degree and walked away and I thought what does that mean why say that why you know why make a point about saying that she just interviewed me and got me the job and then said that you know it's almost like you've got the job now I want you in your place and that's what I just don't like it and what did you do once you got that comment? Um, I just sort of shelved it and held on to it, I suppose. Well, I didn't hold on to it. I shelved it. And, you know, there's a time and place, isn't there, when someone realises that they're not really what they should be. So, you know, there was a bit of karma there. Yeah, yeah. It did come back. And, not and on me, on her. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, we don't need to go into the details. No, or... no, of course not. <laughs> And, you know, and I think she was just that type of person. And I, and it's a shame, really, because you, you only need one or two bad apples, don't you, that yeah, yeah. can hurt and harm a profession. And, I, you know, I'm really proud to be a nurse. Yeah. And I'm glad I am a nurse. And, you know, I think going back to, you know, what we've discussed before about, you know, transformation and things like that and you know changing healthcare and stuff i think it helps to be you know someone that's clinical that leads on these sort of things because you understand how the systems work and how people work yeah yeah and and when did you realize that you know kind of the nhs is finished or we're sort of it's going down the pan (laughs) you know what i don't know if it's (sighs) Well, you know, things are getting more difficult. When when do you yeah. realise that, oh, we're going down the wrong uh, avenue here? I, I think the reason I sort of left and started on my own, you know, six years ago, was because I found myself 
leading a lot of work streams, you know, transformation work, um, large scale one with other ones alongside it. And with no additional support. So I had to try and make the teams work within the existing other organizations, if you see what I mean, which is, you know, it's hard going. And then you end up, because I am someone that somebody doesn't have time for something, I'll just step in and do it. And it doesn't matter that I'm doing 70 hours a week. Do you know what I mean? And that's how it got. And, you know, I thought, God, I'm doing everything from leading this to typing up minutes. And I don't get paid over time for doing it because you don't in a senior role. So you just sort of carry on. You know, I was in commissioning at the time. And I just thought, no, I can't can't do this anymore. You know, I need this got to be something else I can do where I get that reward for doing it rather than feeling that you're just taking on all this work and it just feels like you're just churning work. So, yeah, and that's why I just added in my notice, no plan. And and and, and where did that idea come from? Of what, just handing my notice in? Well, yeah, saying, well, I, I actually, let me stop here. Well, How did like that said, happen? There was no plan. There was no plan at all. It was a weekend thing. I decided I was going to hand my notice in on that Monday morning, and I did. So you had a good weekend where you could just experience the uh, the wonders of, of, of non-work life. Yeah, I, well, a bit longer than that because, you know, I had... I had to work my notice, office, obviously, three months. Um, and, you know, everyone kept asking me in that three months, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm just going to consider my options. But I wasn't even thinking because I thought, well, I don't need to work straight away. I can wait till I completely finish and then sit down and think, right, what do I want? You know, so there I'm there with a pad. What can I do? A list of what I can do, what I have the skills to do, you know, what I enjoy doing against things that I felt, were not for me really you know so yeah and then came up with well let's start on my own a friend also had said you should be working for yourself and been nagging at me for about three years so probably a bit of her voice as well (laughs) and I just thought yeah just let's do that write a book still writing it and um (laughs) it's taken a long time and um and and work for myself so so what did you write on that pad then what was what was going through your head? So it was all the skills things, you know, what yeah. I could do. So the, and that could be everything from, you know, leadership. I mean, every time you change a job, they stick you on another leadership course. Why do they do that? You know, well, you haven't done our one. Okay, so I'll do another one. You know, so you do yet another one. So it's all those all those elements, all those bits. I say bits because that's what it feels like, doesn't it? At times you're sort of doing an audit course and then you're doing something else and then doing a root cause analysis course to be an investigator and then you're doing something else and you end up compiling this list of skills in inverted brackets, really, because it's like, or in commas, inverted commas, because you think, well, the skills, but then you don't apply all of them all of the time, do you? And I suppose that's what I was missing. I was doing a job where... Um, you know, I was typing minutes and this, that and the other and then thinking, well, I miss doing that, you know, and that might be investigating a serious incident or I might. And actually what has happened now working for myself is that I've been able to, every contract is different. So it could be a service review, it could be transformation, it could be 
an investigation, it could be an audit, it could whatever it is, because I've moved around a lot um throughout my career, I can I can do that, you know. So yeah, and it's made it more interesting. And that keeps the drive going to work and to achieve and to make things better for patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the variety and, you know, just just the fact that you can uh, do things virtually uh, has made a big difference to um, our working lives. It has, but um, even last year I was working in the Isle of Man and I was, I was flying over there. I'd still go over there once a month just to touch base with people there. And the government wanted an update in person, so went over to do that. So, you know, there's I'm quite happy to do that and not always stay at the desk at home um, simply because sometimes it's nice to see people outside of that meeting environment, if you see what I mean. we All we do is meet on Teams and we don't have that chance to chit-chat, get to know people properly, really, especially a consultant like me. You know, I've got this consultancy, so I come in and, and consult, you know, and talk about what they're doing but then I end up because I'm a very much a doer leading on that and making sure it's delivered so you don't get the chance to get to really know people not until you do see them in person you have that chat by the you know making a coffee or and and what are you looking for in this sort of chat what what uh what is it that you're you're trying to find sometimes it's just nuances about that person mm. and I think especially when it's somebody who Maybe it's a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, it might be on a call, but you don't feel they're quite grasping it or they're not quite going along with it, but they won't say, they won't voice that. They won't tell you what the problem is or why. And, you know, you just get that feeling something's not quite right. So see them in, seeing them in person, you know, and I'm one of these, I chat for forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's you like know. a hunch thing, you know, the hunch is more likely to work in person than... Yeah, and then I go and see them and then you yeah, start yeah. talking about them and asking about them, you know, a bit like in your job and you get them to talk and you listen and then you find out things about that person and then you realise why they've probably got the viewpoint they have or what is yeah. stopping them from progressing or what, you know, why they don't like change or... So it's a way of sort of reaching out and guiding them, I suppose, and supporting them. Yeah, yeah. And 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 what's what's been the biggest challenges since you've gone sort of self and and you know manage managing your own ship, life ship. Yeah. Um biggest challenge. I think again, I think it comes down to those individuals. I don't think the actual what I've been brought in to do is a challenge as such. I think it's making sure that happens because obviously you're working with a another system aren't you another yeah. organization and so you can only go sometimes as fast as that organization allows that can be a challenge so whereas I'm quite quick you know I can I set up a whole children's unit for minor injuries under fives in literally three weeks I have no site no nothing no staff that system allowed me to be able to do that because they knew it needed to be done. And when I asked for something, it was done. So, you know, so it just depends what 
situation you're walking into is it somewhere where they've tried that before that change before or that you know new clinic before and it didn't work so are you sort of going over a bit of old ground and trying to find out why it didn't work not that you want to know because you're there to make it work anyway um so yeah I think it does come down to individuals and systems that are in place in that organization yeah I mean it's difficult when there isn't transparency or honesty in the in the in a relationship it, it it's sort of it's quite difficult to um overcome that but it you know it requires transformation from our side to kind of get over that uh and difficulty. it's not easy it's not easy because sometimes you know you've got to bear in mind i'm a stranger more often than not coming in yeah. who's yeah. saying well you know saying something that maybe they're not happy to hear but yeah you know, I always start off with a point of, well, this is where you are, you know, and that might be, I don't know, you might not be scoring so well on your stroke outcomes or what have you, you know, whatever it is, this is where you are. And these are the problems you have at the moment. This is where you want to be. Let's let's get there. Let's see how we can get there, you know. And by working with them, you bring everybody along then, don't you? Perhaps that just takes a certain person. I don't know. I always get told it's good not to have someone all suited and booted. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, having those honest conversations and then, you know, once once you are up for the, um, you know, uh, the dark and the light at the same time, <laughs> it's not easy. You know, it's not it's easy. Not easy. It, it's not you easy. know, um, uh, when I'm leading an organisation and then someone comes to me and say, look, this isn't working and, and you're the fault of it it's really bitter to to swallow and, ah, and but i would i would actually backtrack off of that because it's not it's not the person so it's that system around that person so yeah. whenever i've done investigations for example you know someone will say oh it was his fault he did that that's where it went wrong and i want you to investigate it and then i'll do an investigation and it's actually well your policies are out of date your governance is isn't in place you're not auditing practice you're not staff aren't trained and it actually ends up being a whole load of other areas yeah. and it's not that person's fault at all you know it's but yeah if it is somebody's like I said if somebody's feeling a bit challenged themselves when you come in it's just sitting down and getting to know that person really and finding a way and sometimes you know there is compromise it doesn't mean what I say has to go it's about well, what works? Let's see what works. Let's try this. And you can try things, you know, pilot it, see if it works. What do you learn from that? What can we change? What do we need to change? And, you know, and you do get there. And 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 do you have sort of enough time to do these things? or? No, not a lot of time. So mm. um, some of them are bringing a whole new service into the Isle of Man with six months. Um, and that had been tried a few times before. Um, so yeah, so that's that's you know obviously it brings its challenges, but it was great working there, and I found the people actually really quite receptive, so it was good. But again, is that because I was just sort of the way I am? I don't know. Um, but then sometimes things have got to be done quick, you know. Some I did a had to do an audit of five sites in Wales, um, and you think blimey that's not easy i've got to design the audit schedules and you know for the interviewing the staff interviewing the service users the notes reviews ones and 
had 10 days, 10 days, two days driving like a maniac in snow in Wales. Um, yeah, that was tough to get it all done. But, you know, long days. But I got it done and, you know, and they were happy with the results. So I will go above and beyond. Yeah, yeah. How can you develop that drive? Or is it sort of a characteristical thing that, that that we have? It's just the right people for the right jobs. Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, I think what I've learned, I mean, I mean, oh, I've been in healthcare. How long have I been in healthcare now? 26 years, something like that. And, you know, you see some people that really want to, nobody gets up, I always think, nobody gets up in this profession to cause harm. No one. There might be the one or two individuals, but no one gets up to do that. But yet, harm happens. So, and you can't blame that individual. Like I said, you blame the processes. But I don't know what. I think everyone's everyone brings something different to the table, don't they? So, you know, I like I do like to lead. I do like to lead people and guide them and support them. You know, it's very much a manager that. I would support them, meet them regularly, see if everything's okay, and look for those signs that things aren't so good in their personal lives and what have you. Not everyone does that, and that's fine. That's your way of working. But So I think, you know, when you come to do a piece of work and you're using people that are already in their day jobs, you just find where the skills lie and use them accordingly, I suppose. The trouble is, of course, when... Someone says, oh, yes, I've I've asked about that and that's coming. And yet they haven't. That's the tricky bit. So you're yeah. waiting and it doesn't happen. And you're like, why didn't that happen? You said you're going to, you're going to. And so that's, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I've, I've worked in environments where, um, let's say, the words they use is, is not quite truthful. <laughs> Mm. And in in other words, they're lying just to save skin. Um, and then, you, yeah. And so in it's, meetings, you know, it's really meetings. frustrating. It's really oh. frustrating. Really frustrating. It's infuriating because yeah. you know that you know you've had this board meeting and they've openly said, "Oh, that's being dealt with now. That'll be ready on Monday." And they haven't done anything about that. They haven't gone to HR. They haven't put the form in to recruit. They haven't. And, and, you know, and it doesn't show on their faces. And that's the thing no. that really, you know, that's no. the thing that really surprises me. I'm, I'm yes. thinking, wow, How can you, do that? you know, they can really put on something. And I'm thinking, wow, I didn't know I'm humans terrible. can be that, you know, that professional. And yeah, I, I mean, if I'm, anxious, if I can't I'm lie. anxious, I can't lie. I'm dreadful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I'm when I'm anxious, I'm anxious and patients can see it, which is a real problem because they know that there's a problem. <laughs> And I'm the same, actually. Everyone says, oh, you've only got to look at my face and you know what I'm thinking, feeling, whatever. Um, I've got one of those faces, I suppose, you know, that I can sit there and they'll know that I'm not happy with something or or didn't quite like the way something was said or I can't hide nothing. So, um, you know, that's been pointed out more often than not. But then I suppose people know where they are with me. I don't beat around the bush. I say it as it is. Um some people don't like that. I'm not blunt with that. I do it in a, you know, in a soft way, shall we say? But well, sometimes it's unconscious, and you just can't stop yourself from doing it. 
Um, oh, I, 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 yeah, everything's unconscious yeah. of me. I always think I've got a straight face in a meeting, but I haven't. <laughs> I mean, I used to have a very sarcastic face and a very sarcastic comments, but I've managed to kind of reel that in, I think. Yeah. Because um, I think it's quite important to do that because I used to always get in trouble for being... Yeah, throw away sarcastic comments because I'm just... What's the word? I can't be asked, sort of thing. Well, do you know what I mean? There is that, isn't there? And well, one of one of my managers said, um, she was saying about um, standards. You know, my my standards are too high. She said when I first started working at a place with her, and and I said, "What do you mean they're too high?" She said, well, "It's too high. You're, you're, you know, that percentage is too high. Nobody's going to achieve that, and your standards are always too high. You always expect too much." But then after I'd been there a year, she then took me aside and said, I understand why your standards are so high. Because she realised that people were trying to get there and were actually going above what she had first set as a standard, you know? And I said, and that's the thing. You, if you lower your standards, what you get back is even lower. So, you, you know, you've got to have high standards, but you've just got to make sure that find ways of how people, helping people, supporting people to get there. And if they can get there, then there's something not right, not necessarily with a person, but again, it comes back to that system or where's their support structure or, you know, why can't they feel they can openly go to someone and say they can't do it? And I think that's what's quite sad in the NHS. There's no transparency in, you know, people being able to say, I can't do it, or I need help, or I need support. Yeah, yeah, and that's really important, you know, that's mm -hmm. really important because, you know, where people have different levels and different experiences and different capabilities, mm. um, and just having that honesty and exactly. transparency to say, well, yeah, I can do that, but, I mean, mm. I went through difficulty doing surgery and yeah. because I get stressed about it and... um. I was a good enough surgeon to work in the NHS and not cause uh, harm to patients, you know, within the uh, acceptable parameters of professional standards. Mm. As you can see, that's a very waffly way of saying, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was good enough, but I was so stressed about it because it wasn't you my thing. You can only thing. do your best, can't you? Well, I mean, it wasn't my thing. It, it, no. It, it's not my form of expression of, of, of self. Didn't float your boat. Absolutely not. What floats my boat is working with people and just having a great time. <laughs> Do you and know yeah, what I mean? Some, you, know, a great, you know, a great time in difficult situations. So when, when we yes. have a difficult situation in a clinical setting, yes. I love that situation, you know, where we rally the troops and mm. we kind of, you know, it sounds very militarily kind of speak, and we smash through it and, and we're kind of exhausted but happy and patients are reasonably happy and exactly. I really enjoy that. Yes. I really enjoy that. No, you know, me that, too. You know, that, that really gets me buzzing. Mm. Um, whereas in, and, then, and then I made the decision not to operate. And, you mm. know, it, it's, it was difficult because, you know, I'd been operating for, for over 15 years. And How did you feel about that? Great. I feel great no regret. Know, because I'm expressing myself mm. you know I feel much more comf comfortable expressing myself verbally and 
and and emotionally and and humanely rather than expressing myself with the knife and and the suture mm. now now i may go back to it and start finding out that actually i can also express myself you know through the knife and through the suture maybe mm. um if the opportunity arises i might go back but at mm. the moment i felt that you know particularly at that stage in my career you know i felt more at home in in sort of leadership administrative tasks rather than surgical and um you know cutting eyes tasks um mm. but so you know you from home a lot Is no that no no I'm, I'm no Mainly. i mean i actually only podcast is sort of working from home. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the only work that i do from home really uh, and and psychotherapeutically as well. So I did yeah. um, a few psychotherapeutic sessions. Yeah, online. that's what I was wondering. Yeah, but everything else is is with flesh and blood. Um, people in front of me, and you know the whole gamut of vibes and energies and emotions mm -hmm. and anger mm -hmm. and frustrations. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> no, I get that, and you, that's you what know, I miss. I think I miss that that clinical contact, that sort of. Yeah, visceral, visceral contact. It is. It's that, you know, that really getting... I was one of those nurses that, you know, the women patients have to have nice, you know, brushed hair, sorted hair and lippy on. You know, I didn't like them. I, I can't stand walking on a ward where everything's a mess. Do you know what I mean? The patients are a mess. Everything's a mess. I'm not that... Can't be like that. And... And that's what I used to love was actually to caring, not doing the nursing bits, you know, changing your wounds and wound dressings and doing all those bits, but the sitting down, caring for them, holding their hand, talking to them, you know, making them feel comfortable, making them feel valued. And I think that's gone. That's gone. Really? And it's such yeah. a shame, you know, I, I can't stand walking on wards where, Nurses are just running a nurse's station. I mean, I've challenged it. It's, well, we've done our work. Well, no, work's never done as a nurse, you know. Talk to the patients and it's hard, isn't it? Maybe yeah. it's a generational thing. I don't know, but I've always thought that, even when I was younger, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there'll probably be a thirst for that. So, you know, there will be a sort of a bounce back where you would have institutions that bring that back in, you know, back to basics, nursing. But that should be instilled in you, surely. That's why you've come into nursing. That's Maybe it hasn't. With. Maybe it hasn't in sort of the current uh, training system. But then does that come back to recruitment of these nurses? I don't know. Well, it's an interesting discussion. I'm I mean, right here's topic. A, well, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, and um, I think with the way ophthalmology is going, it's going to be much more remote, much more virtual, much more algorithmic, AI, computerized, and, you know. Platform-based. Yeah, booth-based. So you, you yeah. go into a booth, you put your head into something, and out and comes it goes. Yeah, yeah, and out comes <laughs> the pill or the injection, and yeah. you sit in the machine and the robot injects it into you. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I see that going that way. And that'll probably come in sort of in industrialized um, um, areas. And then the non-industrialized, you know, rest of the world, there'll still be, you still see the eye doctor using, you know, 
not the latest instrument, but you know, a reasonable instrument. Um, when it still works, kind of. And it still works, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, you know, they they recently invented this really simple device that does a lot of things. For, you know, close to nothing. You know, you can check the eyes, you can um, check the refraction, uh, do it, do, do a retinal photography uh yeah. photograph close to nothing um but, but but what it does need is is a human being that holds it and sees another human being um i know and this is a thing i mean you know this digital world we're in and especially the ai i suppose but the digital world is it comes back down to those the capability of that audience that those patients those people you know, are they able to, because a lot of what's happening now around digital course is that, you know, like like we were going to talk about virtual wards, weren't we, and things like that. And um, it comes down to that person being able to use that equipment at home and be able to enter things on a, a dashboard or enter those results. And you're never going to capture everybody. So there's always going to be that face-to-face -face need and that will come down to those sort of, you know, those demographics or those, that need of that population, that area. Yeah. So, yeah. So there will always be in your. You yeah. Know, I mean, it's certainly useful. Face to face. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly useful uh, technology for sure. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, there's a space for virtual everything. Mm. Um, but, you know, we do need humans at, at both ends and, and mm. somewhere in the middle as well. Just to keep yes. things, you know, ethical and and humane and and you know, with a bit of soul there, you know, a bit of spirit. Mm. And I also think, you know, things can be missed if you don't see that person face to face because, mm -hmm. you know, especially in healthcare. So talking from like, you know, that holistic care for that person, unless you've seen all of them, you're never going to see the swollen ankles on a screen of someone's face, are you, through the consultation that way? they walk into the office or into your consultation room you'll see how they're walking you'll see their feet are swollen you see do you know what I mean so yeah. you pick up on those subtleties that you won't necessarily pick up through yeah. a video consultation for example so you need like a marriage of both the virtual yeah. and the physical um yeah. you know both the individual and the system mm. um both when it works and when it doesn't work, and there are systems that allows us to sort of transform and change from these um, mm. from these new experiences. And and I think you know the humans are changing because of technology for sure. And you, you said know. about you know when did I notice healthcare was broken a while back? I don't know if it's broken, but I think what's happened is there's not enough staff in certain areas, and obviously if you don't have the doing staff, so the nurses the physiotherapist, speech and language, consultants, you know, those levels that are missing, the GPs in primary care, um, you end up with a bit of a fractured system and one where the consistency has come out of it. I mean, why is that? You know, why why, why is it that, that, that we have less consultants and nurses and speech therapists and and sort of all well, these nursing just taking nursing years and years and years ago we knew there was going to be a great load of nursing leaving because of their age right, right yeah. 
So, you know, quite simply because of their age, um, you know, they were coming up to retirement age. It was a whole glut of nurses going to be leaving and nobody foresaw, but they knew it. They talked about it. They didn't prepare for it. So, you know, they forget it doesn't, you can't just train a nurse in a year. So the plans around the education, for, you know, and everything in the education authority wasn't put in place. So the universities didn't have enough places. So, you know, it's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. they hit it like that. And the same with GPs, really. A whole generation retired or left early because they were just overrun. Yeah. And you end up with a big gap in the system. And then, you know, it's all very well recruiting from abroad and like with nursing, they recruited from abroad. But I remember working on a ward where there was a lot of Filipino nurses. They were brilliant, really caring, actually. And but they wouldn't do wound dressings, this particular group. And. And I said, why can't you change that? Wound? Oh, no, 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 no. That's for sister to do. Where they're from, they don't do that. The senior mm-hmm. person does those type of jobs because they're mm-hmm. seen as a senior person. They're just a nurse. You know, that's how they saw themselves. And I, I mean, I love training them up to do it. And they were doing mm-hmm. it and they enjoyed it. Outside of, of, of the UK, they need to make sure it's not just a case of They've got their nursing. What can they actually do and find out what they can actually do? Yeah, yeah. Has my camera gone off? Oh, yeah, sorry about that. No, that's okay. Still hear me. But, yeah, so it was all, you know, I think I think it is this lack of staff. I think it's a lack of strong leadership. Um. So we didn't I, listen to the, uh, you know, to the signs of, of, <laughs> of uh, problems coming along, you know, we didn't. Well, we didn't uh, act. You know, we didn't the canary act. was was making noise. The canary in the mine. Um, uh, the canary mine was singing, shelf. but nobody yeah. was listening. <laughs> That's what was happening because yeah. literally we saw this coming, and it didn't. Nobody did anything. And then, of course, like I said earlier, it's that protection over boundaries as well. You know where? Yeah. You know, oh, that's a nurse's job, or that's an HCA's job. It's everybody's job. Do you know what I mean? It's and then that's where it then becomes quite fragmented bet- between the different disciplines. I think. Yeah, I mean, our our biggest problem in our service is is just not enough staff. Not enough staff. No. And and, and um, you know, I think staff have a lot more options now, which weren't yes. available before, is because they've changed the way that they look at work and yes, you know, changed the narratives that are in their heads when they were working. So they realise that there's so many opportunities out there. Exactly. Um, and I think that's the thing. It's grown it's grown beyond that hospital, hasn't it? Yeah, it's grown yeah, beyond yeah, that. Yeah. And the, the, you know, in the in the community, it's bigger than that. that. They do yeah. lots of things outside of that. And it makes sense, you know, it, 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 it makes does. sense because, you know, the land's a big place and we can't all fit in a in a hospital. <laughs> so you know, there's a no. lot of, there's a lot of space out there and you know, we're we we're, we're one of the first few services actually did did work in the community and the ophthalmology yeah. service and they're all looking at us with like you know who the hell are you guys and what the hell are you guys doing and you guys are crazy um so and you know for ophthalmology it's it's a big problem something like 30 percent of ophthalmologists are going to retire within 10 years wow and yeah but see, you know that but what's what's happening then? nothing nothing <laughs> so the canary singing you know they've got the same number of, tune at the moment but they've got the same number of trainees yes yeah, 
same number of trainees exactly they're doing less surgery and then once you qualify you leave the country because it's better working conditions so i'm afraid see, in sort there, of there, 10 years time we'll all be going without seeing so well but right there you said what the problem is you said well then what needs to be done about it but it's not yeah. being done yeah and that's yeah. the frustrating bit so increase the numbers you know so that you're getting the people through the training well i think you know i think what can be done is that there's a lot of international medical graduates who are very qualified and they can easily be turned into senior doctors to do all of the basic stuff and it's really an administrative political issue and i think mm -hmm. once the mm -hmm. political elite I mean, you know, the Royal College is not going to like this, but, you know, that's the way it goes. You know, once mm. they start changing and becoming much more inclusive within the hierarchical system. Exactly. You know, things will be better. Exactly. Well, shortly, but in the long term, God knows what's going to happen. But it, it's it's a massive time bomb in terms of ophthalmology, because, as you know, mm. you know, people are living longer and longer and they're all going to get eye problems and we're being bombarded exactly. by this sort of constant new therapeutics which we're supposed to be mm -hmm. giving mm. but we just don't have the staff and only that you think if anything new comes along you need the training to do it and then people yeah. need time to attend that training and that's an issue because people don't yeah. have time to do that and you know and it goes on and on doesn't it but it does come into come back to people need to plan for this now what we're going to do now rather than get to that point and then, oh, my God, there's no ophthalmologists. What are we going to do? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like... I think to a certain extent, that's why they're going down towards technology side of things. So, you know, uh, you can see a thousand patients with one ophthalmologist and technology rather than, you know, a hundred with, you know, physical ophthalmologists. So, you know, that's I think that's where they're going down. Um, but, but, you know, healthcare becomes can... healthcare Sorry, becomes no. non-human. Then, you know, that's mm -hmm. the problem. And I think also it's like with the virtual wards and things like that and the online consultations and things like that, you've still got to consider patient safety, the risks that are involved. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, that suitability for that person. There's all those other things you've got to take into account, which I'm not sure that's always the case. It's a bit like home tutoring, wasn't it, during COVID? We just do home tutoring. We just put something in. You know, some people didn't even have a smartphone, didn't even have a phone, didn't have a laptop. And, and it was, you know, all that afterthought, really, of there wasn't that capability to be able to do that, not for everyone. And then there were some people that just couldn't be bothered to do it anyway. So I was told, you know, a friend said she didn't do any teaching with her children because she didn't have the time when they were at home because she was working. So, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's a it, difficult one. I mean, it's a difficult I mean... You know, we we started off homeschooling school, our children, so um, mm. Mm. you know that was interesting. And now that they've gone back to school, yeah, they're doing really well. Um, I don't know how that works. Um, yeah, but you must have done a good job. You must have sort of. Well, I didn't beat them, of course. I didn't beat them and sort of give them a, you know. <laughs> no, but you also must have prepared them. them you know, <laughs> fed them, kept them warm, and. And away from horrible predatory people. So, I, uh... <laughs> oh God! But you, you, I mean, you you are right. I think it is moving down to that sort of that digital side of things, and you know, I think it's 
good that NHS Digital has now moved over to NHS England and Improvement. I think having it all in one place um, is better. However, you know, having worked for NHS England, I never saw an improvement person. So it was still very much working in silos. So they have to, again, that comes down to whether, you know, whenever these big organizations are integrated together they should be integrated together not um not still working in silos you could be doing transformation or something and then someone else is doing exactly the same in any other part of the organization so you know i think that again that comes down to having a very clear plan and what needs what the needs are so you know putting on your sort of five-year plan hat sort of thing do you think we're going to be more fragmented or are we bringing, going to bring it together, sort of real and virtual? You know, given that you've gone down um, the sort of virtual ward route. and Yeah, I think I think it's going to have to be blended. I think it's going to have to be a blended approach. I think, um, I think you know, virtual wards does work um, if it's run well and if you've got the right team there doing it and um, the structure to it. Um, I mean, you still get the issues around, you know, especially if you've got these virtual, you know, like hubs, where they've got care hubs and healthcare hubs and multidisciplinary hubs. And, you know, the, some of them is a real room where everybody's in a room and there's all these different disciplines, but they're still, you know, who's in charge type thing keeps being discussed, you know. Well, I'm the senior person. Well, no, I'm the senior person. And it's like, you know, we've got to have some really, although there is guidance around it and, NHS England provides guidance and NICE provides guidance, but there's always those grey areas that have not been quite ironed out and and everything gets interpreted slightly different. But I think in five years' time, yeah, I think AI will definitely come in, like you said. I think there will be an increase in, in consultations via video and online consultations. I mean, we're already requesting things online, aren't we? Whether that's you know, prescriptions or a, a sick note. You know, some people do that through that. You know, you can do everything now through that. Um, I, I, I think sometimes, though, for example, um, they stopped one of my inhalers. I just, I'll give you an example, real example. This happened last week. And I went to order it and it wasn't on there. And I thought, why well, this just stopped my inhaler? God, you know pollen and everything not the, the best time to be choosing to do that and um so I went went online and said um I've noticed that you've stopped the subutamol you know the ventolin you've stopped that um not sure why still need this and you know I've got a new diagnosis of COPD so I thought with that new diagnosis I ought to perhaps try that now and bring that in rather than just using my preventer because you know, it might not be my heart, it might be my lungs, and perhaps I ought to try that, And but mine's out of date, could you give me some? I got I got a note, a text back saying, um, oh, you can use your preventer as a, as a reliever as well. Thank you. And that was it. And I thought, hang on a minute, my preventer's got loads of steroid in it, do you know what I mean? And the other one hasn't. So do I just keep puffing loads of steroid into me all day long? You know, do you know what I mean? It just didn't sit right with me. You'll come so and see us, you know, you'll come and see us with cataracts after a bit. 
well, do you know what I mean? And I thought, hang on, this isn't right. I shouldn't be, you know, I'm already doing it twice in the morning, twice in the evening for as a prevention thing. I don't then want to be, you know, I've just made the bed puff, puff. I've just put the washing out puff, puff with it all the time. Um, and um, so anyway, I went back and explained that I don't think it's a great idea to be inhaling so much, you know, steroid and and using it as a rescue, you know, to rescue rather than having Ventolin. Could you please, you know, I prefer Ventolin. And no answer back. But then a prescription, I noticed on my phone's gone through for, for it. And I thought, how many others are... See, again, is that cost? Probably. Do you know what I mean? It, the, the preventer can be used as a reliever, but it doesn't mean it's right to, you know? Not if you've got someone that might need to use it more than once a day, I think. You know, so, again, it's that losing connection with that patient, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's and very so, dangerous and, you know... Um, well, I did and, and you out. know, this is you trained to the, exactly. to the top you know, to exactly. the top in in medicine and, you know, the way Exactly. The, the and I, and I was works. trying not to be sarcastic, you know, leave out your book. I was sort of saying, you know, not sure that's great, I just said. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there was a big hint of sarcasm there, very big hint. Yeah, come on. I could have said come something on. I mean, I would have sent them, you know, lots of F words and it's like, what the hell is going on? I know, but you've had limited um, digit yeah. space. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because I'd run out. I, I mean, I did go on a bit and then I realised it was... Well, you know... I mean, I heard this theory that, you know, human beings are much more um, angry now than before. And that's because because of this reflex, sort of thumb brain linguistic reflex, because they can't type fast enough or they can only type 144 characters. They get very I angry. I know, and you're trying to keep it succinct because you can't. And I wanted to explain why it was bad and, you know, and then start blowing That's why up. you have the hands to, to throttle someone physically, <laughs> you know, that's sort of much more existentially uh satisfying i know but i just couldn't believe this is a, a you know a, a senior gp actually saying oh well that one can be used for both and and just that's it and i thought oh come on do you know what i mean maybe they know you maybe they know you they're just having a go at no, they're just winding me up <laughs> <laughs> well they succeeded yeah. but i thought like you said you know i'm someone that i understand that but other people wouldn't and then like you said they'll be coming to you yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I see lots of very irate patients because they get sent an email or a text message. You know, you have an appointment with this doctor mm. and they just don't understand the context. They don't understand yeah. the message. They got so many questions and frustrations. Mm. And mm. so then they come and see me, a human being, mm. and then they let out all the frustrations and anger. Mm. And, mm. you know, you know, it, it turns into a court case. <laughs> you know they're in the consultation room but but at least i'm the human being and we can have a bit of a clash and and then they and can listen i bet you listen though. well you i know? have to <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're stuck in a room but you know and i don't I think want to that's... get throttled you know it's like okay so yes <laughs> but that's yeah. the thing isn't it you know everyone builds up all this frustration you see it on the road as well when you're driving now don't yeah, you yeah. Yeah. You know, the drive just going to the beach yesterday was a nightmare. The driving was horrendous. And I just thought, not mine, incidentally, but I just thought, it's like somebody hasn't driven for years. And yet we've been out of this, you know, lockdown for God knows how long now. But everyone seems angry. 
Yeah, yeah. Pe people are definitely much more angry. Uh, Driving uh, angrily, yeah. talking angrily, interacting with people in the shop angrily. It's just all around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, patients are much more angry now, and 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 understandable, understandably so, because they they rarely see anyone about their health. Um, it's and things takes... drag on. Things. Drag yeah, on. yeah, and. I mean, I'm fortunate because in, in some of my clinics, I, I, I get 20 minutes with a patient, which is like unheard of. Mm. Um, but they've got 20 years of processing to sort of mm. go through. And I don't have 20 years with them. Mm. And, you know, that's what they need. <laughs> sort of thing. So maybe, you know, technology can sort of come in and, and do 20 years of, of listening for these patients. Or everyone needs a therapist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Back in our day, we we always had therapists, and you know they call friends and parents and communities and 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 girlfriends and boyfriends and you know everything else in between. Mm. Um, mm. But um, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy out there, and I think it, we are in a very different life from what we were before. Yeah, and we, you know, I mean, I'm old, you know, in in the sense that you know I have some kind of intelligence when it comes to human emotions and yeah. you know um, people's you know how they think and so on it, it must be very difficult for the younger generation you know really really difficult to kind it's, of process yeah. all of these things I think it's I think it's too hard for them really I really mm -hmm. feel for them I mean obviously my well my son's 32 and it's not easy he's finding it not easy and I think there's just so much it's everything's so accessible now isn't it so and I think because of that accessibility it's like everything needs to happen now because yeah. it is so accessible on the phone you know so you know with social media everything's quick whereas I, I had the same conversation with him actually not long ago saying you know if we wanted to go off anywhere we didn't have we weren't able to look it up to see what it looked like when we got there or anything or know about it or know what to do when we got there just used to, you know as children we used to just get on our bikes and ride off somewhere didn't know what we were going to find yeah. didn't know where we we're going to end up i remember those holidays you go there and it's an absolute dump yeah oh, horrified... child but yeah <laughs> there is that sort of that? sort of horrified for the first sort of six hours yeah. And then sort of after six days, you think, do you know what? It's all right here. Now. It's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> I you remember know, those I'm days, those like, holidays. When, you, when you're children, you do you used to go off and do simple things like, I'm going to follow that stream. Oh, look, it goes under a road. Oh, my God, I've ended up in someone's back garden. Those sort of adventures. And they don't have that now. And I think that's quite sad. Yeah. I mean, it's all sort of. Instant. augmented and and and, it, and it's all been orchestrated unfortunately you know for a it's not real none of it's real yeah i mean it's all it's all market forces unfortunately it's turned into a capitalist look i mean i'm not a socialist i'm i'm, I'm very much for capital and and home ownership and all that kind of stuff but yeah unfortunately it's um big corporations have gone mad and just total greed unfortunately and I think it that's coming into healthcare. I think that's mm -hmm. coming into healthcare, healthcare as well, which is why, you know, the bottom line is kind of cost, really. I think you're right, and I think you know, like when I do sound cynical, in, but no, I'm just it's, it's true. Whenever I go in anywhere, I know that I need to find efficiencies in that system, or with that that work that I'm doing, that transformation work, there has to be savings. You have to demonstrate that, but that's where. 
you know, I'll look at something, say, in primary care and have healthcare assistants work up patients for hypertension and AF. Why get a GP to do that when the healthcare assistant could do that? They're not diagnosing. They're just supporting what do we need, first of all, and working them up for it. But And that's what we need to be doing is looking at things like that that can be done by other people safely. And then that accountability, that decision-making, that diagnosis and that is done by those that can diagnose do you know what i mean so yeah yeah and then yeah. That, that, that that patients had contact with that person for a period of time being worked up for it and feels they've been listened to and well you know i yeah. i think society doesn't want you to do the the hard work anymore and that's a big big problem and yeah. you know we both did the hard work and I'm glad that we did the hard work because we know what hard yeah. work's about. And, and, uh, exactly. My nephew said um, only again last week that he's just working in a factory at the moment, he said. And I said, don't knock factories. I said, I worked in factories before I did taxi. <laughs> you know, you learn a lot. Yes, it's monotonous, but you learn to be part of that, you know, that whole line to get something out at the end, at the other end. And, you learn how to work together. You learn working with people. You you know you learn so many things from there. That you take on to something else. It's a stepping stone, isn't it? But yeah, then, I mean, my first job was was door to door salesman. You know that was. Yeah, I was know. working in Tesco's. My first job, I had a. Uh, I've still got it. It's one of those things I can't get rid of. I can't get rid of my sister's uniform and my belt, which you're not allowed to wear anymore because they catch people. But um, I can't get rid of my um, Tesco's uniform poppers down the front red and white checks pointy collars because of course it was a long time ago um you know bit out there and um the size of a I don't know like a size four you know diddy one um but I've still kept that and that was my first job was working in Tesco not with a beep not no beeping when I was there pushing those individual buttons and ringing it up and all that I loved it. I think that, that see, you know, you said, where does that come from? That caring and that wanting to do that. And is it instinct? What is it? Even then I had my same people come to my till. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they bought me some sweets or they bought something and dropped it off. <laughs> so even then it was not like it is now where they don't even look up at you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah. I mean, we could talk for hours. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure I the know. listeners are, are sort of enjoying this conversation. Um, maybe we should meet in sort of maybe we should meet in person and sort of have yes. a chin wag for a few yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, I like to end on this. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I ask my guests, uh, most of my guests, this question: um, What would be your um, three top tips to Nina that was? You know, finished GCE, uh, um, GCEs, I think it was in, in, in those days. and CSEs and, and, yeah, yeah, and O-levels. Yeah, O-levels. just a bit before my time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 and you were, what did you say earlier on? I'm a bit old now. I yeah. actually had one of my pensions, a letter come through saying I could take it. And I went, oh, God, no. Do you know what I mean? I'm 55. I'm not that old yet. But, yeah, that, that hit me a bit somewhat. So, so what what would you say to yourself? You know, you know, Nina that that was going back to do her A levels. Um, what would 
the three top tips you'd tell her now, having been through what you've been through and know what she was kind of thinking about in those days? Um, I think probably, oh, I would say... Mm. Others aren't always right. Because there's been a lot of that where, you know, what they say goes blah, 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 and it's not been right. Um, do your best. You can only do your best. It will get easier. Mm. Cool. Well, quite it's been personal great. Personal ones, aren't they, really? But yeah, I think they're. Personal? No, I don't think so. No, quite personal. Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, it's been yeah. great. Uh, how 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 can people get hold of you and sort of find you and look at your work and what you get up to? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so um, it says everything I do on there. That's fairly up to date. Um, cool. I've just taken a bit of time off to get the house done up to sell it, but um, yeah. Lots of adventures ahead then, by by the sounds of it. Oh, definitely moving this year and carrying on with with the work I do really. Great. It's been fun, Nina. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoyed it.